anybody know what the three-headed enemy is? The world, the flesh, and the devil. We're going to talk about that this morning. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you only have a one enemy. And that's Almighty God. And you are born at war with Him. And until you settle it and surrender to His plan over yours, He's still your enemy. So we dive into Psalm 25 and we catch David at a very contemplative time in his life it's nearing the end of his reign he has had a tough ride don't you think i mean think of some of the highs that david has had i listed a few here he was anointed king but right after that remember there was a giant right goliath and the whole nation was scared to death right and was david he was scared to death that these people were defaming the name of God. And so he stepped out by faith. Uh, there, there wasn't later on when he ran around the woods for ten years when Saul was trying to kill him. God proved faithful through the whole thing. How about being in, in the line of Messiah? How would you like God to come and say, you know what? You're so much a man after my heart that I won't the Savior of the world, to come through your life. How'd you like that on your tombstone? But there were some trials in his life, some sin, some bad choices, and each and every one of us has this balance in our lives, don't we? Sin is a reality in this world. The Christian deals with it. Uh, David started out strong, but he started to fade. First mistake. He had more than one wife, let me tell you. I don't care what kind of new program's coming on to try to make this okay, it's not. David thought, well, I'll have a couple wives, and before long, he, then he wanted someone else's wife, and the whole Bathsheba thing, you can read about that. Uh, later on, the consequences of that sin caused his son Amnon to rape his other daughter by another woman, Tamar. How'd you like that in your family? Well, then Absalom, which was David's other son, got really mad at Amnon for raping his sister, which was a full sister, and Amnon was just a half-brother. You know, you're from Johnson County. Blood's thicker than water. So what did he do? He went and killed Amnon. God judged that. Then Absalom wanted the throne from his father actually got his father kicked out of Jerusalem. Later on, through David's weeping, his general kills his son, leaves him hanging by his hair from a tree. You think sin has consequences? Well, this is where we find David at the end of his life, and he's going through all this stuff. But there's hope, isn't there? He hasn't forgotten God. Has God forgiven David? What do you think? This side, do you think God's for... It's early, so we're going to have to wake up and engage, right? Okay, did, did God forgive David? Yes. Okay, now this side, I'm going to get into you. Was there consequences to David's sin? Yes. Okay, there is a law of nature that's just like gravity that what you... So you will 
reap. You're going to reap later than what you sow, and you're going to reap more than what you sow. So if you, re- if you sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap a harvest of the Spirit. If you sow to the flesh, you will also reap flesh. And we read about the either aroma of death or aroma of life. So you with me on this, amen? I have dedicated this section over here as the amen section. Okay. You're going to have to be quicker. Okay. But there's time to work on it. So we're, we're going to look at three areas. We're, we're first going to look at the devil, okay? Then we're going to look at uh, the world, and then we're going to look at the flesh, and we're going to see how God addresses each one of these and gives an answer for them. And then at the end, we're going to sum it up with giving you a roadmap to how to get there. This psalm gives us all of that. You say, really? You ready? Number one, let's bring it up. True believers have a defense against evil. Do you believe that? Is the devil real? Yes. Uh, Is he powerful? He is powerful. Do you realize that he has the will and the power to destroy you? So why isn't he? His goal is to destroy everyone. Look at the, the text. It says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I in you I trust. We, we skip right through this very quickly without really understanding the words. The, the first word, Lord, is Jehovah, which means God of the covenant or God of promise. So the next word, oh my God, is Elohim, which is creator God. And he's really saying, look, the person that created me and the person that's promised me, I can trust in. Do you think you can? Right off the bat, do you think that your creator and your sustainer can take care of you? Well, wait a minute. It seems as though I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death. What's it say? I, Because you're with me. You've promised me certain things, and I can trust in you. The, the, The word here, ashamed, do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exalt or win over me. When you think about the enemies as being Satan, the world, and your flesh, it really brings in a certain plan here. David didn't understand all of that here. He's thinking about his country's enemies. But we know who our enemies are. And it's not other people. It says, indeed, here's a contrast going on. Get this contrast. Don't miss this. Indeed, none of those who, what? Wait for you will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause will be, what? See the contrast going on of the person who's patient and waiting on God and the person who's scheming and working it out for themselves. Turn me down just a little bit, you guys. I'm, I'm echoing through these things and I'm hearing too much. Thank you. Which one are you? Satan wants you first to become kind of dissatisfied with God. Kind of, God's not really that good. Remember, he did it with Adam and Eve. Oh, God just knows that if you eat of that fruit, what? You're going to just be like him, and God's jealous up there, and he doesn't want competition. So he wants you to just be under this little cover. 
He doesn't want good things for you. He wants bad things for you. Has Satan's plan changed any? Does he do the same thing for you? Have you ever gone through that in your own life? That maybe God's not been so good to me. It's Satan. He's got this plan that he's trying to carry out. Do you have to worry about it? It says if you'll wait on the Lord, you'll never be ashamed. Now, how easy is it to wait on the Lord? Let's be honest, and let's not be Baptist right now for a second. Let's be Christian, okay? How difficult is it to wait on the Lord? Very. Uh, does anything catch the Lord by surprise? That's what he's saying here. You created it all. You're the one that's made certain promises. I am going to, look what it says. I lift up my what? Soul. What's your soul? Choices. The will. I have made a choice that I'm not going to trust in me. I'm going to trust in the Lord. Is that, congregation, is that a viable choice? Is it a choice that we can make? Are you serious? Then why aren't we making it? Every day. Lord, here it is. Micah said it like this in Micah 7. Let's bring Micah up. He says this, but as for me, I will watch what? Oh, I love that expectantly for the Lord, I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. Singular there, pointing right towards the enemy. Though I, what? Though I dwell in darkness, what? I don't have to see. He sees. All I've got to do follow him look at here folks the, there is a world of concern out there all kinds of things that you can be worried about let me tell you if you will just worry about your walk with the lord jesus christ and making sure that i'm 100 focused on him it don't matter what happens to you satan can't get you if i wait on the lord but when i start scheming and trying to figure it out myself and i was talking to a pastor this week Said he's got over 160 resumes out trying to get away from the church that he's in and to another church. And I thought, 160 resumes and you haven't heard anything back in a month and a half. Huh, maybe you're trying to fix this thing yourself. Have we ever thought that? You, you, pastors struggle too, y'all, with the same things that you struggle. Am I going to trust in God and wait on his timing, or am I going to try to work this all out myself? Dear young people, if we could say anything about trusting in the Lord, especially for marriage, let me tell you something. God's going to bring the person into your life that he has for you to marry, okay? Now, dating, which is what I like to call scheming, is you trying to work God's plan out for him. God will bring the person alongside you that he has for you. And it will be the person that will help you grow in your walk with the Lord. You don't have to go through 16, 20, 30 people trying to figure it all out. We don't want to trust in God. Because we want companionship now. I learned this song when I was a kid. Let's bring it up. 
It goes like this. Has anybody heard this song before? It goes, unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, O my God, I trust in thee. I will not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Now, I used to think that I was brought up in a normal home. But when I was six years old, this is what I was being taught. My goal here at our church is that our children will be taught from a young age what the truth is. Were you? See, I think church has become all about religion and a facade of perfect life instead of reality. You have an enemy. He wants to destroy you. But you have the power and the promise of God. Can you trust him? The point of trials, what are they for? Yes. If everything went great in your life, when would you have to come to the Lord and say, Oh my God, I trust in you. Well, that's easy when everything's going the way you want it to, isn't it? But when you're at the hospital and you're waiting on the helicopter to get there, you kind of say, Oh my God. I don't know what's going on here, but I'm going to, what? I'm going to trust. I mean, I don't know how God could have put a more perfect passage for the week that we've had. Now let's go on. Because true believers have a defense against evil, but there's another enemy, which is the world. Let's bring it up. When I say the world, I'm not meaning people. I'm meaning the worldview, the world's form. It Romans 1 says it's the idea of worshiping the creation over the creator. Now, this is the world's idea, okay? And it is also something that will come natural to you. Natural just seems like the way it's supposed to be. Look what the word says. First, make me what? Verse 4, let's all read it together. Make me what? Number one, Lord, don't, like, I'm wondering if maybe you could show me your way. Is that what he says here? David knew something about going the wrong way, and he's saying, God, just make me know your way. Do you think that you have direction through life? I mean, all these psalms we've been going through kind of show this. Back to Psalm 23, the Lord is my what? There seems to be a world of confusion out there. People have this up-to-date idea that they don't even want to teach their kids things, especially about religion anymore. They just want to leave them tabula rasa or a blank slate so that they can kind of formulate their own opinions. It's the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard. You don't let your youngin walk around unpotty trained and say, well, you just figure it out any way you want, darling. This can be the designated pea corner if you want it to be. Nur. What's my desire? My want, inwardly, is that the Lord would show me his way. You know, lots of people say that. They don't really want that. What they really want is God to say and validate what I want. That's not what God wants here. God, when you come to him and you want to be a Christian, what you're saying is, my life is yours, Lord. You do with me 
whatever you want. And my desire is that I know it. Just show me your way. Uh, the interesting thing about that is most of the time you don't know it until afterwards, right? I mean, when you're going through it, it's hard to see, but when you're looking back, it just seems 2020. Let's go on. He says, lead me in what? Your truth and teach me. If you read uh, John 18, when Jesus is before Pilate, what's the reason that Jesus came to earth? To testify to the truth. David here is saying, lead me in your truth and teach me. I'm willing. The yes is on the table, God. You do it with me, whatever you want. I've given him total control, and I'm going to follow him. This is not really tested until your child gets called to Indonesia. How awesome would that be? If you're saying that'd be awesome, or if you're thinking, dear God, we've got to stop this. We go on. He says, for you are what? How long? All day. Wait, willing. I mean, want, willing, and wait. It seems to be pretty good. God's never in a hurry, is he? We sing this choir song that says he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. He is, isn't he? Uh, what does Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Let's bring it up and let's all say it together. Here it goes. On your mark, get set, go. How hard is it to follow a straight path? I like looking at your face, Emily. It's open. You know. Look at here. Here's the deal. A straight path you don't have to see, right? You don't have to see it. All you got to do. Why do you think when they pull you over for a DUI, what do they ask you to do? Because when you're controlled by the spirits rather than the spirit, you can't walk a straight line. I won't ask for testimonial. <laughs> Life is about what? Opportunities and choices. We're going to get to the rat killing here in a little bit, but we'll hold off for a minute. You can either flounder or surrender. You can either survive or thrive through this world. You can. Okay? It's up to you. You have some choices to make. Every day you make choices on whether you are going to just flounder like the Bible says, like a leaf on a wave, just being tossed to and fro by your circumstances. Or you can say, I've surrendered to the Lord, and if I've surrendered to him, then he's not going to bring on anything that I cannot handle through the power of his spirit. So I'm going to trust in him. through. Now that's thriving through life. Surviving is, oh, bless God, I'm going make it through today. I talked to a man this week. He's 94 years old. He was married to his wife for 70 years plus. She died last year. I have never met a more upbeat man in my whole life. It gave me hope. It gave me hope. Because so many people that get in their uh, twilight years uh, really become more and more bitter. This man was more upbeat than I've met anybody maybe in my life. And he told me, look here, he said, 
preacher. He said, my wife and I were married 70 years, and he went through the months and the days and the hours. He said, never had a fight. I said, what, was she a deaf mute? And uh, he didn't answer that. He was a deaf mute. And, uh, <laughs> but what he said was, he said, and, and Mary Esther and I have talked a lot about this, is he said, I just praise the Lord that he gave me so long and such a wonderful person. We've talked about that too. And how when God called her home, God called him home, it's his deal, not mine. I can either become embittered with him or I can trust him to direct my life. And will he be enough? Will he? Will God be enough if you lose your spouse? Dear young person, will God be enough if he calls you to a life of singleness? Will he? I'll tell you this, you'll never make a good married person until you make a godly single person. Marriage won't solve it. It'll just magnify it. So let's move on. We've talked about Satan. We've talked about the world. Now let's get to you. Let's bring it up. I don't think that most of the time Satan has to bother with us. Because we have so bought into the world's line of thinking, we have not renewed our mind with his word, so we just live in the flesh all the time and we make excuses why we live in the flesh. I'll get to that. In verse 6, he says, Remember, O Lord, your compassion and your what? Is anybody awake out there? Let's do it again. Uh, remember, O Lord, your what? Your compassion and your loving kindness, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth. The only thing worse than the sins of your youth are the sins of your older age. <laughs> Because guess what? You're supposed to have learned something. That's why a dirty old man is such a travesty. Okay? Because you never really got it. Okay? Because every young boy is a dirty old man in a young body. And he's supposed to learn. You ladies don't know anything about that. But let me tell you, it's true. Sin. Is there deliverance from sin? The, this front row believes there is. The rest of you are not convinced. Is there deliverance from sin? Based on your merit? No. Based on the loving kindness and compassion of God. Not because we deserve it. But we must come and admit it. My point. David was aware of what it was like to be in sin's control. He had dealt with the consequences, and he knew. But here he emphasizes the nature of God. And I'm telling you what, folks, listen to me. Don't lose this. Let me tell you, the churches eat up with this. We're eat up with the fact that we don't call sin, sin. I mean, totally eat up with it. We've had a tragedy, maybe, this week. I don't see it as a tragedy. I think it's God's hand at work and things. But what I've heard is people say this, and I've got to deal with it. No matter how difficult this is, I've got to deal with this. Is that, you know, it's, it doesn't make any sense why these things happen. 
Really? Have we had things happen in the past? Have we? Yes. But we haven't dealt with the sin in the past. It's kind of like this. I'll give an example from my own life. I'm in Wendell. You know, raise your hand if you know where Wendell is. Good, good. I'm coming out of Wachovia Bank, right? This is a few months ago. I have a five-speed. I come to the stop sign in the road, and guess what I do? I push the clutch in and let off the gas, just like every good American would do. Right? You with me? However, I did not touch the middle pedal. Okay, now I... So I rolled through the stop. Policeman right there pulls me over, gives me a $100 ticket before it was all said and done. I come home, I tell my wife, after a couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> Just being honest. And I got all my excuses. It took me a couple of days to get it all laid out. You know, have my defense plan laid out. Sean said, uh, did you stop? No. Then you deserve the ticket. I shared this this morning in Brotherhood, and they said, it was the grace of God that you got a ticket. You could have rolled through the stop sign and ran someone over. Now, we look at two kids getting hit on a four-wheeler, and we say, oh, how could God let this happen? What a travesty. Let me tell you something. Four-wheelers aren't supposed to be in the road. So we can either deal with that or we can go on. We can try to cover things up and say, oh, no. God, why is he? It was the grace of God that they're alive. But young people, you need to learn this. Old people, you need to learn this. Laws are there for a reason, not to stop you from having fun. People have lived for a long time now, and they've actually learned some things and put them down on paper, and they're there to help you. Ultimately, God is the one. We have this attitude throughout our culture that I can do whatever in the Sam Hill I want to do. And then when the consequences come crashing down, it's God's fault. What? Maybe it's the grace of God why all of us are not consumed. Now, I'm not getting on to the young people because let me tell you, we talked about this at the hospital. I did so many dumb things when I was a kid. It's just a... The grace of God that I'm still alive, okay? But let me tell you this. Both of them young people, as am I, am still alive. So God's got a purpose and a plan in this. Okay, see, if they've both been killed in the road, then it would have said God didn't have a plan for them in that. He had a plan for us in that. But we don't even like to talk about this. See, this is, we're in uncharted territory. It's very uncomfortable talking about this. And you're thinking to yourself, I don't know if I like this. Because when somebody's hurting that we love, we like to say, oh, it'll be all right. We've had accidents in this church before. People have lied to the police about what happened so nobody gets in trouble. Let me tell you, the time for that is over. The time for us to say we're Christians. We're going to screw up, aren't we? You are? I am. And the witness we got for the lost world is that when that happens, we say, this is what I did wrong. This is where God was right and I was wrong. This is the consequences that I paid. They weren't fun.
But God's right and I'm wrong. And the world's going to say, David says in Psalm 51, he's dealing with this sin. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain a willing spirit in me. Say, God, give me the desire to want to do your will. But we don't think about that, do we? And I don't think we're doing a very good job teaching our children this. If I can't wear my seatbelt, how can I tell my kids? If I can't go the speed limit, how can, and you say, well, these are stupid stuff, brother. No, they're not. They go to the basis of who we are and who's in control of us. I know, because when I went through the stop sign, I had a list of reasons why that guy was just a jerk for giving me that ticket. When actually, I deserved it and worse. And it was the grace of God bringing it for us. And the Bible says time after time that the patience of God is for the purpose of bringing us to repentance. Okay? This little interlude this week has been an awesome thing for us. It's a little time, a little snippet in history where all of us got to get together. Hospitals. And say, God's right. We'll get through this. By his strength and not our own. And in that, it's awesome. If he takes my life today, and all of you come mourning over Brother Dent, you would, wouldn't you? <laughs> it's not good to ask that question. <laughs> if God seems far away, guess who moves? There's sin in your life. And bless God, we've got to start calling it sin. Whether that's riding a four-wheeler into the road, whether that's speeding, whether that's talking behind somebody's back, whether that's worrying, whatever, it's being dissatisfied with my relationships, whatever it is, we've got to be willing to say openly, it's sin. God, forgive me. Ain't Willie? Well, let's bring Ephesians 2, 8, 9, says this. Here, here it is. This is how we're saved. This is how we're saved, right? No, back up one. Back up. There it is. Let's go. Read it. That's what David's saying here. I don't deserve this. Do you? Do you deserve? See, if we come to God when these difficult things happen and we say, why, God? What we're really saying is we deserve better. And we're not saying what it is. Let's bring up 1 John 1, 9. Here it is. Go. We've taken this verse to mean confession to myself you know so when we give the invitation you can confess it in your pew to yourself dear god you know all the things i did this week i confess it as sin before you but we don't take it that way in romans 10 9 where it says confess with your mouth jesus is lord and believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead and you'll be saved 
We take that as outward, and then we take this confession to be what? Why? You do. Let's clear that up. All of you. All of you. Matter of fact, the, verse, the book ends of this that we don't ever talk about, 1 John 1, 8 says, if you say you don't have any sin, you're a liar. The book end after it says, if you say you don't have any sin, you're saying that God's a liar. So when's the last time you confess sin? If it's been a long time, you're saying that God's a liar, and we'll just assume that you're a liar. Enough of that. Will God deliver you from sin? Yeah. But only his way. Not your way. The world's way is just pretend this never happened. Let's never speak of it again. God's way is deal with it, repent of it. Talk about it afterwards all the time. Don't do this. This is what I did. This is the consequences I went through. Okay, you ready? We're done with the bad part. That's the world of life and the devil. You ready for the roadmap to success? Here we go. Number one. Humility. Verses 8 and 9. Good and upright is the Lord. Did you get an amen from that? Okay. So you can never go and say what God's doing is not good. It is good. Is it always good to feel good? Okay, let me ask. Is it always going to... This is where you answer me. Is it always going to feel good? Thank you. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. How does he instruct? Through his word, through the circumstances of your life, being applied with his word. Look what it says next. He leads what? And he teaches the humble his way. What does it mean to be humble? You know what humble is? I thought of this. I've been studying Joshua. Humble is coming to Jericho and blowing your horn and knowing that the gate got one thing to do with the wall coming down. Humble is God's at work. I just want to be part of his plan. I I wrote this in my Bible a long time ago, and I I look at it. Uh, Kenneth Scott Latourette wrote this, and he says, I do not fear that God's work will not get done. He said, but I have every fear that it'll get done without me. That's humility. God, you work. I just want to be part of it. But he goes on. Now let's bring up the next one. How about this? Do you think this one goes with humility? Humility is the fact that I don't know what to do. So obedience goes right with it. Look what it says. All the paths of the Lord, verse 10, are loving kindness and truth. To those who keep his covenant and his testimonies, for your namesake, O Lord, pardon my iniquities, for it is great. He's he's saying, look, when I do what's right, good things happen. When I don't, help me to get it right. Let's move on. We've got to move quickly because, you know, we hate the clock around here. You may not, but I do. What's next? This is what Sunday morning is all about, reverence. Reverence is not about you saying God like this, God. That's not reverence. You sitting in church like a bump in a log is not reverence. You refusing to sing because you don't think it's holy. That's not reverence. 
Reverence is the fear of God. On the surveys that we took, 99% of everybody said the reason that they don't share Christ is because they're afraid. You need to work on reverence. Fearing God, not I would put before you the reason we will not confess sin is because we're afraid of more than. Let's move on. Enough of that. What's the next one? Look at verse 15. My eyes are continually toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Picture that, okay? Why would you be in a net? 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Okay, so you do, the, the idea here is that Satan has this, and the world has this trap set up, right? And they've got you in the trap. Maybe you've sinned, and it's led to a trap. Are you sunk? No. If you'll confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of sins. He says, I'm expecting that if I do God's work, God's way, I can expect him to deliver me. You see, you can read Romans 7. It says, the things that I want to do, Paul says, I can't seem to do. The things that I don't want to do, what? That seems to be what I do. He says, so therefore, if I don't want to sin and I keep doing it, it's the sin that dwells in me. It's not me. The only way you know that it's the sin in you and not you is because you confess it. That was free for you. We end with this. Grace. He says this. Turn to me and what? What does it mean to be gracious? Give me something that I do not deserve. He says this. For I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my priorities are large. Do you have trouble with your priorities, folks? Do you? David did. I'll confess to you today that I do. Because what comes naturally isn't God's priority. He says, bring me out of my distresses. Look upon my affliction and trouble and... Forgive all my sins. Look upon my enemies, for they are many. Verse 20. Guard my choices. Deliver me. Do not let me be ashamed. For what? I love the New American Standard, the word refuge. The city of refuge, if you learn about it in the Old Testament, it was a place that if you committed a crime unknowingly, wasn't premeditated. You could run to the city of refuge and be safe. If you're outwardly rebelling against God, there is no hope for you. But if you, in the course of your life, sin, you confess it before God. You confess it before man. You say it's wrong. You repent of it and you go on. That's the refuge that God has given us. But as long as we keep this attitude, folks, of You know, the just as I am's playing. I call it the white knuckle syndrome. You know? You know something's wrong, and you know you need to deal with it. But you won't. Why? It's not that you won't deal with it today. It's that you never deal with it. 
And the reason that you never deal with it is because the Spirit of God is not in you. If the Spirit of God was in you, He would nail you and nail you and nail you until you got it right. You see, the Bible says that if He doesn't chasten you, then you're an illegitimate child. So I'm asking you today, what are you concerned about? You say, well, this hasn't been very uplifting, Brother Dan, this morning. It's just because you don't like and you don't want to do what the Bible says to do. You see, what the Bible says is very simple. However, it's profoundly difficult because it goes against who we naturally are. Will God work right now? The question is, if you'll let him. Would you bow your heads with me? I don't know. This is the difficulty I have. I, I don't know what God's doing he does. So we just like to leave this opportunity open for you. Brother Lee will be down here. I'm down here. If you want to come pray, um, it's up to you. Life is about opportunities, choices. Father God, may you work through this time. May we be obedient in Jesus' name. Would you stand? His heads bowed, eyes closed.